Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 237. This week, we're going to be talking with David Joannis about the mind of a missionary. So know your identity in Christ. When you know that, you will understand your destiny. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. Our goal is to equip challenge and inspire you. And I really believe that this episode is going to do that. We're going to be talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual health, about the wide variety of callings, and a whole lot more. This is really going to be a good one. I think you're really going to appreciate this. I do want to mention before we get into this that I'm going to have another episode coming next week. Typically, I'm on twice a month right now, and I had some stuff going on with scheduling, and I wanted to get as many to you as quickly as I possibly could. So I've got another one coming next week that's going to get me closer to being back on schedule, and I think that it's going to be some really good stuff. I think you're going to appreciate that one as well. Now, I don't want to take any more time before we get into our time with David Joannis. All right. Today, I just got to tell you, I am incredibly happy to have with me David Joannis. He was with us back in episode 191, and that's where you're going to find a good bit of his history, what God's done in his life, as well as some information about the ministry. But today, he's coming back to talk with us about the mind of a missionary. And that's the title of a, a recent book. I want to tell you right up front, I think this is an incredible book, and I'm going to go ahead and encourage you right now to consider getting this book. I really do think that it can be life-changing for people. Now, David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Very nice words. I appreciate it and love being back here on the show. Well, thank you. I, I appreciated having the opportunity to read the book. I, I really did. We were talking before, and you mentioned that I kind of burned through it, and I, I did go rather quickly, and I feel like there are probably some things that I missed. So I'm hoping that as we talk through this, I'm going to get a better understanding. As we start out, though, I'm just wondering, thinking about a book like The Mind of a Missionary, I think this is a, a really important book. Is there anything in your mind that told you, hey, as you're thinking about this book, this might be the right time for a book, this book right now. Absolutely. And inevitably, as always happens when you feel it's the right time for something big to happen or God's going to move in or through your life, what happens? The negative internal monologue creeps up and says, no, you cannot do it. But I'll tell you what, just exploring past and present missionaries, global kingdom workers, as I call them, seeing what how God integrates all these pieces together throughout time to tell his grand narrative of the mission's mandate. It was such an exciting, incredible time of writing. And I do believe that uh, people are going to be touched and inspired to join God's global mandate as they read. 
Oh, that's great. Now, this, this book, The Mind of a Missionary, is it only for missionaries? Absolutely not. In fact, one of the very nice endorsements that I, I received was from the author of uh, When Everything is Missions. Have you read that book? No, I haven't. When Everything is Missions by Matthew Ellison and uh, Denny Spitters, powerful book. But he said this, it's been said that when it comes to missions, followers of Christ have three options, go, send, or disobey. And this is what he said, if you're a goer, read this book. If you're a sender, read this book. If you are disobedient, read this book. And <laughs> I think that encapsulates what I'm trying to say. Every citizen of God's kingdom is significant. You don't have to cross geographical, linguistic, cultural boundaries, become an overseas missionary to be used of God in a powerful way. And I think that's what I'm trying to tackle in some ways. We sometimes aggrandize the narrative of someone who goes. There's no mm. magic in a plane ride, right? But yeah. God uses run-of-the-mill ordinary folks who say yes to him. So really, this is a labor of love for the body of Christ. I pray that it blesses everyone. Wow. You mentioned that there's really no difference in some ways between a person who hops on a plane to minister or somebody who stays at home and ministers in their neighborhood or their workplace. But you also mentioned in the book that there is a need to understand the difference between a traditional missionary, somebody who goes long term into a culture that isn't their own and somebody who doesn't. Can you share a little bit more about that and how that works together with your previous statement? Yeah, I better be careful what I say, huh? <laughs> uh, now that I have some stuff that I cannot edit and is out in the real world. Absolutely. I guess I'm wrestling with the conundrum always that although we separate and sometimes say, well, missionaries are the special forces, thus putting missions out there and mm -hmm. not available to the, the body of Christ, when in fact it, it's this du duality. You know, every one of us are sent ones. Every one of us are called to live missionally, to be on mission. And mm. yet, I think there is a blurring of the lines. Matthew Ellison, like I said, in Denny, Denny Spitters, in When Everything in Missions, talk about this, that the narrative of the word or the definition missionary has changed dramatically over the years. Mm. And so, everything if everything is missions, nothing is missions. And I think there is absolutely, in the book, I actually put multiple definitions from across the board, what a missionary is. And I hold to the kind of historical version or definition of a missionary, someone who crosses cultural and or linguistic and geographical boundaries, takes the gospel to places where it has largely not been heard. The thing is, though, I think when we talk about that, it, it tends to say, well, I'm a missionary here at home. Right. I think just the whole point is using definitions properly so as to finish the Great Commission. When I say that every king, every citizen in God's kingdom is significant, every one of us have a part to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Absolutely. But I think it's kind of funny when we call every Christian a missionary as if every Christian is an apostle or an evangelist or a right. preacher, or, you know, a teacher. So I think this book kind of explores what is happening in the mind of a missionary? And that person is someone who crosses these boundaries that are unique and therefore have something to tell us about how we can thrive on mission today. As you were answering that, I think you touched on one of the things that I noticed about the book, and we were kind of joking about it a little bit before we hit record, about the wide ar array of 
resources that you drew from in order to be able to to write this book. <laughs> and I'm wondering, you know, looking through this, I think there were somewhere between 25 and 30 pages of notes at the end. Uh, I, I'm yes. wondering about the writing process. How did you how did you do that? Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you, just to start it, it's something that's not in the book. I tried to put it in there, but it didn't work. I remember initially, I've only been writing this for six months. I started in January. Wow. And I sat down with two uh, guys. I'm not going to mention where they're from or their name, their names. But I said, I'm writing a book. It's called The Mind of a Missionary. And they chuckled to themselves saying, you can't you can't write. It's too wide Mm. of an array of a genre. You can't write about the mind of a missionary. How can you describe what Hudson Taylor and the guy down in Thailand is doing all these countless missionaries? Well, I agree. This one book does not do justice to the mission's mandate of God by any means. However, Mm. I really loved going on archive.org and exploring these old manuscripts, updates from missionaries from 1842. I mean, you're going to hear words from all kinds of great legendary heroes, like, you know, you got Jackie Pollinger, David Eubank, Nick and Ruth Ripken, Zinzendorf, uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael. But then you're going to hear a bunch of voices, because I interviewed over 150 missionaries from around the world, and their voices kind of blend with these legendary missionaries of the past yeah. and tell a broad narrative of what God is doing in the world to bring his ultimate reign on earth. Hmm. Thinking about that, you've, you've mentioned some about the, the research that went into this. I'm wondering, as you think about the book so far, what was the hardest thing for you to write? I found myself crying throughout this whole book. Mm. I mean, um, uh, maybe we should edit that out, Brian. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, I, I felt just such a deep compassion and emotion rising up as I learned and explored different struggles throughout history. I think sometimes, you know, those, you know, Brian, when you read different missionary biographies, right? Mm-hmm. It's painted in such beautiful hues. You think oh, I could never be like Amy Carmichael or Hudson Taylor, right? Mm. You get that feeling? Yeah. And yet their lives are marked by tragedy and difficulty and struggle emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And those kind of bits don't inspire as much and get left out, perhaps. As I learned about these things, it resonated with me. You know, I've been on the mission field in Southeast Asia, China, and now Thailand for 22 years. Hmm. And my goodness, I've experienced so many good things, so many negative things. And trying to put those pieces together and say, this place that I'm in now, right now, this moment, everything in my past has brought me to this place. God Mm -hmm. has uniquely arranged these moments. And so as I was writing a number of different things specifically, if you want to get more specific, but it was an emotional roller coaster finding compassion Mm -hmm. for global kingdom workers or those who go cross-culturally to serve on foreign fields. Yeah. Yeah, you know, speaking transparently, there was there was a part of the book that I found myself nearly crying myself through as well as I was reading it, and it was it was specifically a couple of places. One was dealing with I'll, I'll call it vision or inspiration, r- being reminded 
of God's glory being revealed in the earth. And the other was the section where you talked about missionary burnout. And specifically, I was reminded of a friend that I had who had gone overseas, and I did a really crummy job of keeping up with him. And I started to feel really bad about having kind of dropped the ball on that. And I think thinking through this, because I've had a couple of days to kind of process, I think it wasn't just the the material that you presented, but also the way the book was written, the inter, interwoven narrative with theology and, and instruction and things like that. I, I think the structure of the book actually played into how I experienced it. How, how did you decide to structure it that way? You know how I really decided to structure it this way? And by the way, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, the fact that 7,000 missionaries, I'll get back to your question in a second, but 7,000 people will abandon or leave the field this year. Hmm. When I was learning of missionary attrition, reasons for burnout, and why some people stay and some people go, and when is the best practice to do so, man, my heart was, I mean, I was crying throughout the book. You don't admit that. You said you were almost crying, so I kind of want to get back to there. Uh, That's where I was. <laughs> no, I, I was. It was an almost. It wasn't quite there, but you know, it, okay, it was definitely okay, an experience. I mean, I'm not. If I cried, I'd tell you. Okay. Well, hey, I better <laughs> do better on my next book. <laughs> Going back to your question, though, as I in last year, 2017, I read 54 books, a book a week, mm. and that really impacted my life. Specifically, if you're talking about style, this follows a similar style of Malcolm Gladwell. You know mm. him as yeah. New York Times bestselling author. Got the Tipping Point, David and Goliath, and many more. I really like little lessons in between life stories. So you're going to learn about hmm. neuroscience. You're going to learn about psychology. You're going to learn about history. You're going to be taken on this journey, but it's all interwoven with individuals saying words. And hmm. it's a really story-driven book. I think that makes it an easy read while you're learning about deeper truths in psychology and neuroscience, which is Mm. a strange thing uh, for a missionary book. We've talked a little bit about some of the things that impacted me. We talked a little bit about some things that impacted you. I'm wondering, as you've heard from some people that have read the book now, are, are there any things that they're taking away from it that have really kind of surprised you? Almost every day. You know, I just launched this book uh, about 10 days ago on my 40th birthday. Yeah. And... It has been, well, that was kind of a gift to myself. (laughs) So this book is written for me. No, I'm just joking. But it was this kind of gift that I wanted to share with the world. Mm. In response, I have had people writing to me, their Facebook Messenger or wherever, telling me how touched or how they can't get through the book because they're crying. I think each part touches someone in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. You have those who have left the field and perhaps are dealing with failure or struggling mentally, saying, this is healing to me, or they can't get through the book because it's still painful, Mm. or others who are just about to go learning about Jim Elliott saying, I'm so inspired to do this. I think the overall feeling is that because this book is is kind of unique in that it's not just an emotional uh, call. You know, mm. so many times these missionary stories or updates or missionaries in general, we give a, an emotional call or compelling to our audience. Mm. Well, there are dying children here or there are sick babies there. And so there's this emotional draw. What this really does is explore the motivations, expectations, risks, and rewards kind of in a calculated and yet emotional measure. And 
I think that has been kind of refreshing to people to give a broader picture, not just a one-sided, glamorous, the mission field is wonderful. Come on, after the one month, you're going to realize <laughs> that was inaccurate, you know? And so I think it's healthy to see this. And I think the overall narrative of what many people have said is that this is what I've been trying to articulate for years. Hmm. And now they could share it with their friends and say, this is what's happening in the mind of a missionary. So... I've been very touched by those kinds of responses. Thinking about your book, and I'm hesitant to ask this question because I read the book, so it's kind of going contrary to some of the things that you've written about. But I'm wondering if you were able to look forward maybe half a generation or a generation from now, what would you hope to see changed because of what you've done here? Hmm. It's funny how God uses weak and unassuming misfits to accomplish his purposes. (laughs) (laughs) If he does choose to use this book written by yours truly, I would pray that, you know, in chapter eight specifically, it's talking about emotional struggles. You'll see 7,000 plus missionaries going home. You'll see stress levels of three times the healthy, I mean, the danger levels of stress and therefore people going home. I would love to see missions in general or the missionary enterprise changed and transformed in a way that becomes much more healthy to the goer and to the sender. I would want to see that William Carey holding of the ropes will go down to the gold mine of souls, but Mm. you must carry or hold the ropes in this back and forth of the sending church or the Christians on the home front and those who are abroad and health mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I would like to see health on the missionary enterprise much more than I do today because I live here in the 1040 window for the last 22 years of my life. I see unhealth or ill health oftentimes, and people end up going home bruised, battered, and broken. And so I would pray that God would just use this to kind of transform the way we do things, if that is at all possible. Yeah, I I like that. And I'm a guy I've never spent significant time on the mission field, maybe a week or two here, that kind of thing. And I'm wondering, as a person who's here, I I feel very clearly not called to be a person who's going. But as a sender, as a supporter, as a partner, is there anything that I can do to help support the health and the... Well, the the health of the missionaries that I'm connected with. Absolutely. First of all, I'd like to pause and say, you know, for you, your role is so incredibly powerful. I love what you're doing with engaging missions with your unique role, and you've eased right into it. And Mm. I think that's even part of the solution, not creating this great contrast between those who go and those who stay at home as if there's some special elite I love how you've eased into your calling as a sender and are proud to say, this is what I do. I mobilize or I send. Mm. You know, relationship as the basis of the mission's endeavor is what needs to happen. I think so many people are trying to manifest this heart and mind for missions, but in the words of David Platt, it's devoid of relational intimacy. Mm. And so that could be intimacy with God. It could be intimacy or closeness or just a connection with their sending church. And so relationship is going to be what is going to change and transform the mission's endeavor 
to mm. bring greater health. So that could come in the form of scheduling regular contacts with those you know abroad, sending letters, talking about their deeper things that are in between the lines of their missions updates. Okay, so you mm. saw 10 people get saved and so you saw this. How's your marriage? How's your Bible reading? You know, how's your children? And I think this relationship as the basis is really going to transform the health of missionaries or global kingdom workers who go out to the foreign fields of the earth. Hmm. And that's that's good. And I appreciate your encouragement. I, I really do. I don't want to minimize that. One of the things that you brought up, and, and this is kind of a hard thing to to address, you wrote in the book that the principle of the gospel is this, that the gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. Can you maybe share a little bit with us about how that plays out? Those were actually the words of Jackie Pollinger, yeah. who is a missionary in Hong Kong and uh, has just brought great transformation. You can check out her book, Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pollinger. The more I wrote and the more I learned about the missions endeavor, and again, this is what I've experienced, but this writing process only helped me articulate what I have often known. Her words exactly. Let me just read it here if you don't mind, Brian. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please. It says, the principle of the gospel is this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. If the gospel brought death to Jesus Christ, why would we think that in preaching the gospel it would be any less for us? If you've known the love of God, if you've tasted of his sweetness at all, there's no other way to serve him except giving up your life. And this is voluntary. This is not a sentence at all. We're not sentenced to death. We're just privileged to answer his call. I think we have this narrative of dying to self and it's become, well, there's there's fallback from that or drawback. People don't want to die to the, who wants to die to themselves? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and yet... This is the absolute message of the gospel. It's the essence of the gospel. I don't believe that every missionary going overseas to Honduras or Timbuktu or India is going to be needing to become a martyr. That's not at all what we're saying. And like Jackie said, this is not a sentence. However, there is great sacrifice, uh, whether you like to admit it or not, in going to a place to bring life you see this conundrum all the time on every Hollywood movie, right? Someone lays down or sacrifices their life for the good of others. Yeah, It's no different on the field. And it becomes a struggle as the years go by, as you think, now I know these people who I'm trying to target and reach. Now I don't just love the idea of them. Now I know them intimately. And are they worth it? Are they worth me laying down my life? In Jackie Pollinger's case, she went to the streets of the walled city in Hong Kong, gave her life for the drug addicts and prostitutes, and the whole wall collapsed, and she touched hundreds, even thousands of people. It was a death to herself. It brought life to Hong Kong and beyond. Yeah, I, I remembered that story, and I, I very much enjoyed reading it. That was the first time I'd heard parts of that, for sure. That kind of brings me to one of the questions that I, I had as I was reading the book. You mentioned the fact that there's that volunteering a lot of times I think of missionaries as being called sort of this inescapable drawing that that pulls them towards something where they keep trying to say no. And maybe at the end of their rope, they finally say, OK, yes to God. But on page 48 of the book, you commented that there, there were some times where it was an inescapable call. But there was a particular person who said, no, nah, I, I volunteered for this. What, what does that tell us? That was David Sitton, by the way. I recall what you're talking about. He's the the founder of Two Every Tribe, by the way. Great guy. 
I think it's funny sometimes. Again, the words and terms we use that are extra biblical, admittedly, missionary is also one of those. Mm. However, we use these extra biblical words like the calling. Have you received the call? And he has this snarky way of putting it. Like <laughs> he said something like, do you have to be waterboarded and tied up in shackles? You had the call and you had no other choice but to surrender to the call. No, I volunteered, he said. Mm-hmm. And I think the words of David Livingstone are really a powerful way of saying that. If submission to an earthly king can be called an honor, why is it a sacrifice to submit to a heavenly king? And God had an only son. He made him a missionary. I'm a poor example, but I'm going to do the best that I can. Hmm. There, It's not natural, again, to jump headlong into something that is unknown. And yes, as missions has changed over the decades and the short-term experience has brought just that, an experience, perhaps in many ways, well, all of us who have gone overseas have gone on a short-term mission trip. That has impacted our lives. But when the trip is just built around an experience or something for the team rather than blessing the, the locals, I think we continue to tell the narrative that this is this volunteerism does not include sacrifice. Mm. A little bit here and there. We'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as we sweat in the humidity of Hong Kong. But, you know, I'm talking deep sacrifice that has longevity. And when people wholeheartedly abandon themselves, like Jim Elliott and the Aka, the uh, Ecuador Five, there's some sort of intrinsic motivation, some internal drive that says, yes, I am doing this for the glory of God, not for accolades or no guts, no glory, no newsletter story, right? Mm, yeah. I'm just kind of trying to gather my thoughts because that's that's a lot to process. You also wrote in the book about the tendency to domesticate the gospel and mm. how it's prevalent in every generation and how it can cause problems. What happens? Well, first off, what is it to domesticate the gospel? Yeah, I, in fact, somebody just asked that on a, uh, a post that I made because oh, really? out of context, it could sound awkward, you know? Okay. You know, I love, Brian, how every question you ask, I could defer and say, well, those weren't my words. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but the, I, there's such a wide array of voices, yeah. past, present. That that one was by the co-author of When Everything is Missions, Denny Spitters. Mm. Okay. And he says this, sadly, so many churches have domesticated the Great Commission by divorcing making disciples from the object of all nations. Jesus said, right? Mm. Go make disciples of all nations. And as a result, we have 7,000 unreached people groups, etc. It's wonderful to work and do ministry in the context of where you are. Thus, in our Jerusalem's that is where most of Christian ministry efforts are happening. Yeah. Okay. We sometimes go to the Jerusalem's, then Judea and Samaria's to the ends of the earth. We are lacking tremendously in the body of Christ. The fact that we still have two billion people who are out of reach of the gospel and no access is because we have in large part domesticated the gospel. Or maybe another way of saying that is allowed nationalism to creep into Christianity and Mm. thus obscure or blur the lines between the both. I remember on one of my trips back to America, I'd been living in China for, I don't know, seven, eight years. I walked into a Christian bookstore in Prescott, Arizona, where I'm from. 
As soon as I walked in, there was this huge painting of Jesus, arms outstretched on the cross with an American flag draped over his arms. In the in the painting, the painting was painted with an American flag on there. And amazing to me how sometimes we equate Christianity with nationalism or agendas that we care about in our cultures, mm-hmm. when in fact it has nothing or little to do with those things. When we make the gospel all about Jerusalem, we have a tendency to forget Judea, Samaria, and most certainly the ends of the earth. Yeah. When in fact God has this macro perspective, goes so much beyond our myopic vision of just here, my little corner, great, wonderful, that's where God has called you. However, he sees the grand narrative and wants to use you to touch people simultaneously, globally, and locally. One of the things that you, you covered in the book, and I, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of missionary burnout. You, you wrote about the spiritual attacks, the physical attacks, the health kind of things that can come, as well as a really pervasive inner monologue that can, can be mm. an attack as well. I think many people would say, hey, you know, I struggle with the same kinds of things as well. But you wrote about how it's often different when you're in a different culture. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think the words of Amy Carmichael very much describe this. She says, we lived for years with a menace in our ears. (laughs) Those (laughs) words, that negative internal monologue, every single human being, first of all, is going to experience that. Christians then across the board are going to hear that negative internal monologue. Perhaps sometimes it's going to be the interworkings of the fallen world, Satan whispering, you know, these lies into our minds. It's a battlefield. Hmm. That's natural. Okay. Now take that same person or some person, transport them to something that is foreign and unknown. There's resemblances of a world you once knew, but now everything is topsy-turvy and you're in a culture you don't you're just alien to. Now, those voices play in your minds in many unique ways. You're trying to learn the language. You're trying to buy vegetables, you know, in a market. It's the simple things. You're trying to share the gospel, like Don Richardson. He's telling the message taken from the peace child in chapter 11 of the Mm -hmm. book. He's saying the story about Jesus and Judas was with him and trying to talk to these cannibalistic head-hunting tribes about the gospel. Because they had such a tendency towards trickery and treachery, they said Judas is the hero. Mm -hmm. And so they misunderstood his gospel message. Imagine the negative internal monologue in Don's ears Mm -hmm. or in between his ears. I think dealing with the internal monologue, the expectations of others, is very difficult in a lonely place on the mission field in a culture that is not native to you. And so navigating those pathways is precarious. The relationship between the sending church and the missionary can enhance and empower and stand behind them and say, we are with you. Don't cool down, burn for the Lord. Hmm. And also, I think the only way to get over that negative internal monologue is to have this posture of expectancy. Hmm. Our expectations are not often based on reality as missionaries. You know, we expect to learn the language in a year, have 100 people saved, plant 10 churches. (laughs) Those expectations are often unfounded. And when they don't happen, we begin that bit of internal monologue. When we posture ourselves 
an expectancy on God, then we step back, allow him to take center stage. He moves. We're a small part of the big thing, and his glory rises up for him, not for us. Really good stuff. I would suspect that some people might read this, and they might be tempted to choose a missionary that they want to be like. Maybe they want to be like Don or Jackie or Amy. But as you got toward the end of the book, well, about two-thirds of the way, you, you shared a quote from Amy Carmichael about how she had a little bit different goal. Can you share some about her perspective? Mm. Yeah. Well, it was only uh, about halfway through the book because okay. the notes section is oh, just yeah, there, so there was long, the notes, right? Yeah. <laughs> There are a lot of books referenced in this and a lot of uh, voices from around the world. Yeah, you're right. We have this tendency to look at someone, anyone, missionary or not, specifically, I think, in the Christian world, pastors and missionaries. Would you agree with that? Yeah. We kind of emulate, want to emulate them or aggrandize, oh my goodness, he or she said this or that or the other, when in fact, what we really want to do is come to the feet of Jesus. One of the stories told is of someone who had been touched by the life of Amy Carmichael, missionary to India for 51 years, and went to the place of her service in southern India, spoke to the people, and was like, wow, this is so amazing. You're doing what Amy taught you to do. And she says, no, we're not. Hmm. All we're doing is coming to the feet of Jesus. It Hmm. looks like what we're doing is what Amy taught us to do, because Amy sat at the feet of Jesus. We're not doing what anybody else is called to do. We are doing what we're called to do. And that really triggered in this uh, guy, Andy Lepper, in the story, in the book, chapter 10, I think, of The Mind of a Missionary, that, yes, you could really see example, want to follow the examples of Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, many, Heidi Baker, many others. And that's a good thing. We all need a hero. And yet, God has called us to be ourselves. So if you're listening now, you don't need to be Heidi Baker. Heidi Baker is herself and no one other can do what she's doing. Hmm. Or Hudson Taylor or Don Richardson or all these greats of the past. You are called to be you. And as you come to the feet of Jesus, you are on the same playing field as all these legends of the past. And again, God uses run-of-the-mill ordinary folks who say yes to God. I love that message. And as I'm thinking about that message, obviously you had something that was being birthed in you or you wouldn't have written this book. And, you know, there are still, there's still life flowing through you. And I'm wondering if you were able to sit down metaphorically with the bride of Christ right now and just sort of whisper something into her ear, what would you share with, with the bride at large? That's a powerful question, Brian. I've never been asked in that way. I think the theme that comes out in the mind of a missionary is this. Know your identity, Hmm. and you'll be able to fulfill your destiny. I think that's what I've been trying to say throughout this interview, throughout the whole book. Don't be someone else. Don't follow the examples blindly of all these. Be yourself. Know your identity in Christ. When you know that, you will understand your destiny. And I think if we could latch on to the reality of our identity in Christ, Mm. new horizons open up. We no longer want to be like Heidi Baker, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael. We appreciate them and love them and honor them, but we are exactly who God made us to be. That's what I would say. I'd whisper right into the bride of Christ's ear, know your identity in Christ. You'll be able to fulfill your destiny. 
Wow, that's that's great. I mean, you're speaking to me. I really appreciate that. As we draw this to a close, I'm wondering, how can we best pray for you? I appreciate that. My wife and I run an organization called Within Reach Global. We have been targeting unreached people groups in the 1040 window, people literally who have never heard the gospel before. Hmm. In fact, I'll mention my last book is called The Space Between Memories, Recollections from a 21st Century Missionary is all about that journey. We are growing in some unique kind of apostolic way right now. Hmm. It is terrifying and exciting all at the same time. (laughs) We very much desire, our motto is to honor God and reach the unreached. And we could really use prayers for wisdom, for a team to continue to be built up. It is doing so now, and to see how to strategically, healthily, and thoroughly reach unreached peoples who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel once. So you can pray for Within Reach Global and all our missionaries and the organization that uh, my wife and I started many years ago. Yeah, definitely. And for, for everybody listening, I would like to encourage you just to go ahead and do that right now. Pause the recording and go ahead and do that. When you're done, come back tap the show notes, go visit the website. We'll have links to all of the things we talked about, especially the new book. And I'm going to say it again. Even if I didn't have David on the line, I think you need to check this book out. I think it's worth your time to read it. It really spoke to me and it did. I I believe it will to you as well. David, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Brian, thanks for having me on. It's an honor and blessings to everyone who's listening and to you and your family, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to say one last huge thank you to David for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it, and I really hope that it spoke to you as well. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash missionarymind. That's where you're going to find links to his book and the resources that we talked about, as well as ways for you to connect with him. And I do want to encourage you one last time. I think this book is really worth checking out, The Mind of a Missionary. I went through it rather quickly, but I found it to be a very engaging and a very deeply touching book, and I believe that it would do something valuable for you as well. Maybe not for you, maybe for somebody that you know, but I really think it's a worthwhile book. Make sure that you come back next week, not two weeks, but next week. We're going to be hearing from our guest about the spiritual condition in Europe, as well as an interesting idea for fundraising and connecting with people across the miles. I think that's going to be worth checking it out. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the show. That's the very best way to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Choose your favorite podcast app. It's just going to be a couple of clicks, and you'll have a way to listen to the show wherever you are. And if you have any feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. One more time, really looking forward to connecting with you next week. 